This week, as I was preparing for this message, uh, when Jesus talked about fasting, I was scratching my head wondering uh, how, how much fasting was mentioned throughout the Bible. And believe it or not, fasting is mentioned more than baptism. Fasting is mentioned 77 times throughout the scriptures. Baptism was mentioned about 22 times. And as I was scratching my head, I'm wondering, okay, if it's mentioned so often in Scripture, why don't we ever hear uh, a sermon on it? Or why don't we ever talk about fasting? Because it's not something that you talk about in your everyday conversation. I, I was looking back on the last time I preached on fasting at this church, and it's been many, many years. And the last time I did a study on it uh, was, was several years ago. And I was asking myself the question, why don't we talk about it? Because obviously it's important enough to be mentioned 70 plus times in scripture. So why don't we hear about it? And, and I came up with a few reasons why we don't hear about it. The first is, is we live in, a, in an affluent society that is all about convenience. And just on your way to church this morning, you probably passed five fast food chains. And you may have gotten hungry just driving by it, but we live in a world of instant gratification where we like our needs met right now. And so the thought of giving up food for even a meal or even a day uh, would almost make us scream, right? Because we can't fathom giving up meals because we live in a world of inconvenience and affluence tends to diminish the attraction of fasting. But the second reason I thought about of why we, we don't hear about it that often or talk about it that much is it might be to some of you like an old school way of doing things, uh, the reason why we think it might be old school is as you read through the Old Testament, New Testament, people fasted, and then you even can study church history and, and discover that throughout the Middle Ages, there was a movement called the monastic movement where a lot of monks would fast on a regular basis. And so you and I can't really relate to monks and we think to ourselves, well, if we want to be like monks, then we might fast, but otherwise we don't want anything to do with it because that was old school and we're living in 2022. But perhaps a, another reason why we don't fast is it might be seen by some of you as legalistic. Because after all, the Pharisees, they, they prided themselves on fasting twice a week. And they wanted other people to, to know that they fasted and gave up their meals uh, on, a, on a given day just so that people could see them as super spiritual. And so we might avoid fasting because of that reason. But as I look at Scripture... I see that fasting is an important thing for us to discuss, and it's important. it was important to Jesus. So if it was important to Jesus, then surely it's important to us. It needs to be important to us. So I'm going to address three questions in our time this morning about fasting. What is fasting? What did Jesus say about fasting? And why should we even fast? Why should we spend our, our Sunday morning talking about it? So the first question we'll look at is, what is fasting? A fasting is voluntarily denying something that you might enjoy for a time and replace it with something of spiritual nature. It's, it's giving up something that's important to you for the sake of a, a spiritual purpose. I like what Pat Morley said about it. He said, fasting involves giving up something you normally do for the purpose of focusing more time and intention on God. Fasting gives us an opportunity to satisfy our spiritual appetite by sacrificing our physical appetite. 
Fasting, it's a way of demonstrating that you love Jesus more than food and you need him to satisfy your every longing. Now, notice so far when I talk about fasting, I'm talking about fasting from food. Because after all, all the occurrences mentioned of fasting in scripture are referring to that of giving up food. You can give up water for a time, but you can't give up water for more than three days. You need water to live. But fasting is the most common thing to give up when it comes to the spiritual discipline. And the times that I have fasted, and this is just something that you might think about when you decide to fast from food, is the times I have given up a meal or gone a day without eating, every time my stomach would growl, it would be uncomfortable, it would remind me that I'm hungry, but it also would remind me of why I'm doing it in the first place. It would remind me to have a hunger for Jesus because even though I'm physically hungry, I've decided to fast and give up food for a season so that I could get more of Jesus because I want him more because he is the one who will ultimately fulfill my every longing. And so again, just word of the wise, if you give up food, do it for a time, but also as your stomach growls, think about why you're doing it. And how every loss is for the sake of gaining Christ. And as you give up food for a time, you think about how I must become less and he must become greater as I become less. Fasting from food is the most common way to fast, but there are other things we can give up that serve as a substitute from God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said that to make the matter complete when it comes to fasting, we would add that fasting, if we conceive of it, truly must not only be confined to the question of food and drink, it should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So I'm gonna say something that might be challenging to many of you today. And again, that's why I'm here. You pay me to say hard things. So let me ask you this question. What is something that you value a lot? that oftentimes serves as a substitute for God. I guarantee for most, if not all of us, it's our phones, technology, the devices that we have. And every time I talk to high school students that go on our mission trips that we take them on or on a weekend-long retreat that our student ministries takes them on, what do they do but they take their phones away and every time I'm reminded by them, it's so difficult to do that. And I, when I hear about it, I remind them that it's not your organ that you're losing. But often when we have our phones taken from us for even a short time, it's as if we're losing a body part. It's like, I can't function without my phone. What do I do without my phone? But you might consider for a little time, it may be a block, a four-hour block of the day, to put your phone up. And instead of being prone to scroll on your devices or, or look at your phone, look at God's word or spend time with him. So you may decide to, to give up your technology device for a little while. You may also decide to, to give up your hobbies for a little while. And that's hard for some of you, especially you golfers. Oh, I can't give up my golf game, Seth. You're really asking a lot of me to do that. I'm not suggesting give it up completely. 
I'm suggesting you may give up one round of golf, one day. And instead of spending four hours golfing, you may spend four hours in the mountains in solitude and in prayer and silence and being still and letting, letting God just speak to you through his creation, right, and through his word. You may also decide to, I hate to say this, but give up one UT football game this year. And instead of going to an all-day affair where you go and do the tailgate and you go to the game and you spend all day, you may decide, you know what, I'm going to give up one game, and it may be the Ball State game, but I might give up that one game, Seth, and I'll, I'll fast and I'll reflect on Jesus and my spiritual life. I don't know what it is for you. It may not be that. But what can often serve as a substitute for God in your life? What distracts you from Jesus? And whatever that is, I would encourage you, even this week, maybe really reflect upon that and give that up for a little bit. I'm not saying for a long time, but maybe for a four-hour block or even a day. Again, fasting can go beyond food. It can also go to our hobbies or to technology or things of that nature. So that's what fasting is. It's voluntarily denying yourself something of great value for the sake of gaining Christ. So what did Jesus say about fasting? Let's look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is the sermon series we're in right now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, these are the words of Jesus. He said, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a few things here that Jesus talked about. First, look at the, the first phrase in verse 16, and when you fast. He mentions it twice in this short section of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you fast, what does that tell me? It tells me that fasting to Jesus is not only important, but he expects us to do it. He's not saying if you fast, he's saying when you fast. And as you study through the scriptures, you'll find that there was one day of the year where God's people would all gather together and they would fast for an entire day. And that was the only really requirement or main expectation that God had on, a, on the entire group of people, the Jewish people. And it was on the day of atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, we read these words, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Denying yourselves is referring to fasting. So on this one day a year, God's people were to not work and take a Sabbath. They were also to fast from food. And the whole purpose was designed for them to to rid themselves of their sins and place them on a sacrificial lamb, essentially, that would become Christ one day, the Passover lamb. It was a foreshadowing day where they would be focusing on a Messiah to come who would forgive them of their sins. And one way to cleanse themselves of, them, of their sins was to abstain from food. So that was the one day where God expected his people to fast. But as you read through the scriptures, you'll see that there were other occasions when people gave up food for a season. 
We call them occasional fasts. Uh, One example was a congregational fast. In the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2, we see that the prophet encouraged God's people as a congregation to fast as it was a form of worshiping the Lord. We also read about in Acts chapter 13 where the church of Antioch, they called the whole church to fast before they sent missionaries out into the field. There were also not only congregational fasts, there were national fasts. I think about 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when King Jehoshaphat, he called the whole nation of Israel to fast and to pray because he knew that an enemy was going to come and a war was going to happen. And so he was pleading on their behalf to the Lord that he would keep his people safe from harm. We also know in the book of Jonah, what happened when Jonah finally got to the people of Nineveh and you see a mass great awakening from the city of Nineveh where people come to, come to the Lord in numbers. What did the king do in response to the preaching of Jonah? He called the people to pray and to fast. And it said he, ate, he even sat in ashes and he was mourning and fasting and grieving over his sins. That was a national fast that we saw in the book of Jonah. When I think about American history, I think about how presidents like John Adams and James Madison and Abraham Lincoln, even Ronald Reagan, they called for national days of prayer and fasting so that we as a people of America would humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways so that he would hear our prayers and forgive our sins and heal our land. So national fasts are appropriate throughout our American history and throughout biblical history. There were also occasional individual fasts, and I think about when King David, he took a day of praying and fasting over his sins, when he grieved over his sins. I also think about Nehemiah before he went to to his king to ask him to leave his post so that he could go to Jerusalem and build the walls. What did he do before he went to the king to tell him, I've got to leave my job and go do this? He prayed and he fasted. I bring all this up because Jesus expects us to fast. Whether it's one day a year or whether it's a pattern and rhythm of our lives throughout the year, he expects us to fast. But as he continued to to teach through the Sermon on the Mount, he, he gave a negative command about fasting, he gave a positive command, and then he gave a promise about it. Verse 16, the negative command. He said, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, For they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's he saying here? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, I talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus was correcting the practices of the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 5, he was correcting the teaching of the Pharisees. But now we get to chapter 6, and he's correcting the Pharisees because first, when they were giving their money to the synagogue, they wanted everybody to know what they gave. They would give their money and say, hey, look what I gave. Look how important I am. When they prayed, they would pray out loud so that their prayers could be heard so people could see them as super spiritual. And they would say, listen to my prayers. I must be very spiritual because they wanted people to applaud them. They wanted people to praise them and to admire them and see them as spiritual giants and heroes. And now Jesus is saying, Pharisees, when you fast, you want the whole world to know that you're fasting. But that's not how it should be. 
In Jesus' day, whenever somebody would wake up and get ready for the day, they would put oil on their heads and their hair, and then they would wash their faces. It would be the same as if when we wake up, what do we do? We take a shower. Hopefully, you take a shower when you wake up, because <laughs> it'd be a hot mess if you didn't. But hopefully, you take a shower, wake yourself up, you clean yourself off, and you're ready to go for the day. What the Pharisees were doing was they weren't taking a shower when they were fasting. They weren't washing their faces or anointing their hair with oil. Why? Because they wanted the world to know that they were sacrificing their food, that they were suffering. And so they walked around, oh, woe is me. And they had this gloomy look on their face like, oh, this is so hard. I'm giving up my meal today because I love Jesus. I, I love the Lord. I love his word. And I want everybody to know it. And so I'm walking around with this sad look on my face because I'm giving up food and it's so hard. Jesus is saying, that's not how it should be. You shouldn't walk around all disheveled and, and with a gloomy look on your face. But instead, you should do what you do on a normal daily basis. Anoint your head with oil and wash your faces and nobody should know that you're fasting. Only I, the Lord, should know. Not people. As I was thinking about this very thing, I thought about how you and I can easily do the same thing in our Christian circles so that we can puff ourselves up. Uh, think about a couple examples. When I grew up, I, I, I went to a church where you would wear your Sunday best. So you would wear, I would wear a suit and tie, even, even in high school. I would, I would wanna look good, you know? And then, and then it was okay, and I'm not, again, I'm not discouraging you to wear your Sunday best because some of you like suit and ties, and that's great. And the whole reason is you wanna, you wanna give God your, 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 your greatest, right? I get that. But at the same time, it can easily lead into a clothing contest where you come to church with your Sunday best and you kind of one-up the other person and say, hey, look what I'm wearing. Oh, I can't believe you're wearing that. I, I've got the new, I, I'm looking like GQ right here, right? I got the Armani suit on. Look at me. Ladies, you could do the same thing. Look at the dresses I'm wearing today. I'm wearing my Sunday best. Again, that's why at Christ's covenant, you can wear a suit and tie, you can wear jeans, as long as it's modest, right? You, you can wear whatever you want to here and come as you are, and that's the, that's the culture we want to create here. And I think, I think that's great. But wearing your Sunday best can easily lead to, look at how holy I am. What about when it comes to worship? You know, a lot of Presbyterian churches over the years that I've been to, we kind of just stand there and sing with no emotion. You know, because we're deep thinkers, so we're listening to the, we're looking at the lyrics, and, you know, that's how we sing, and that's fine. But for some of us, you know, we're more outgoing and extroverted, like myself. And I, if you go to Africa and you worship with them, or if you go to a, a gospel service like I've been to a number of times, you start moving a little bit. Like, hey, I get used to this. This is good stuff, you know? And then you might even raise your hands and worship and say, oh, Jesus, I love you. Woo. Right? And that's okay. In fact, I'm encouraged that I'm seeing more hand raising at Christ's covenant. I think it's great. It's so uncommon for a Presbyterian church to do what we do, but I love it. But here's the thing about worship. You can be hand raisers, not for the glory of God, but for yourself. So that others can look at you and say, oh, wow, they're really engaging with the Lord right now. I've seen people raising hands and looking around like, oh, is people seeing me raise my hand? You don't want to do that, right? 
A third example, and I kid you not, you might laugh at this one, but I have seen people on the mission field do selfies with African orphans. And they're like, look at me. I'm serving these African orphans. I've seen people do selfies down at downtown Carm saying, look at me serving the homeless. I'm doing my due diligence. I'm super spiritual. Be careful about that. Be careful when you're going out and serving uh, to, not give, to, to not seek to be praised by men or by women, but to only seek to praise the Lord and be encouraged, be encouraged by him. So who are you trying to please? Others or the Lord? And that's the point Jesus is getting at when he's given this negative command. Then he goes into a positive command in verse 17. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. What's he saying here? He's saying, when you fast, don't put on a show. Just be faithful. And remember, you're fasting for an audience of one. Not of many, but of one. Because after all, those Pharisees who are fasting so that they would get approval and praise by their friends and their peers, they may have gotten their reward for a short time, but it was short-lived. People just forgot about what they did a day later. Where Jesus gave a promise here. He's saying, if you fast with good motives and good intentions and you're genuine in your fast, then God will reward you in heaven. You don't need to seek the praise of others, but you need to seek, you need to seek him and his approval. You need to praise him and what you do. It's an audience of one, and as you seek him, he will reward you, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. That's the positive command and the promise that Jesus gave regarding fasting. So Jesus talked a lot about it in this chapter and, 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 and later on in Matthew. But my, my question to you is, okay, I hope I've given you a reason why to fast biblically, but let's look at a few other things of why it's important for you and I to do it. The first reason is fasting helps us identify what controls us. John Piper, he wrote a book called A Hunger for God, and the whole book is about fasting and praying. And in it, he said, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. The issue is anything and everything that is or can be a substitute for God. So as you fast... It helps you identify what is controlling you. What are the idols in your life that you're putting before Jesus? So that's one reason why we fast. The second reason we fast is it helps us focus on God's guidance for your life. I guarantee that some of you in this room right now are dealing with a big decision that you have to make. You may have to decide soon whether or not you sell your home and move. You may have to decide whether or not you take a different job. You may have to decide whether or not, high school students, what college to go to or who you are to marry. You may have to decide that you've just been given a hard diagnosis about your health and you have several different options and how to treat that condition that you've just received and you don't know which decision to go in and to take. Whether you're right now dealing with a hard decision to make or whether that will be next month, I guarantee all of us here will have to make a decision very soon about something. That could be really hard and very uncomfortable. 
I would encourage you as you're praying to the Lord to give you guidance and peace in making that decision to also fast for a meal or for a day and really hunger for God's guidance and ask him what he would have you do. David Brainerd, a great missionary of the faith, he wrote in his journal back in April 19, 1742. He wrote in his journal right before he took the call to go on the mission field because he was really wrestling, should I go on the mission field and be a missionary or not? And these are the words he wrote. He said, I set apart this day for fasting and praying to God for his grace, especially to prepare me for the work of ministry, to give me divine aid and direction in my preparation for that great work and in his own time to send me into the harvest. Shortly after he spent that day of praying and fasting and he wrote these words in his journal, he then wrote these words. He said, I felt the power of the prayer for the adva- and the fasting for the advancement of the kingdom of my dear Lord and the Savior and the world. My soul was drawn out very much for the world, for the multitude of souls. I think that I never in my life felt so much resigned to God in everything. What was he saying here? He was saying, God, help me in my day of prayer and fasting to guide me to go onto the mission field. And he also said it was the most profound spiritual experience he had ever had. Fasting. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So fasting will help you focus on God's guidance in your life. The fourth reason, or the third reason why we fast is it allows us to express our love to God in a tangible way. Cultural Christianity does not require much of us because after all, we live in an age of convenience and comfort and we value our comfort. We like to be comfortable. If you give up a meal or you give up a meal for a whole day or you give up food for a day, that is showing God and expressing your love to him in a tangible way. It requires a little bit of sacrifice for you to do that. It requires you to suffer a little bit. But again, it's really to help you express your love to the Lord in an easy, tangible way. And fourth, I would say that God can use your fasting for his glory and for our good. Just as God uses our prayers to advance his kingdom, he uses our fasting to advance his kingdom. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was fasting in the town of Joppa right before he received a vision from the Lord where a great sheet was let down from heaven and it led to an opening of the gospel to the Gentiles. What was Peter doing before he received that vision? He was fasting. In Acts chapter 13, the Christians at Antioch, they were fasting when the Holy Spirit directed them to send Paul and Barnabas to the mission field. John Wesley He recorded in his journal of fasting that seemed to alter the course of our history even today. In 1756, the king of England, he called for a solemn day of prayer and fasting because there was a threatened invasion of the French in 1756. John Wesley wrote these words in his journal. He said, the fast day was a glorious day such as London has scarce been since the restoration. He said, every church in the city was more than full And a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heard our prayer, or he heard our prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our sins. In a footnote, he later added, humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. What was he saying here? 
1756, the king of England called the people to fast and to pray because they heard about the French coming to invade them. After they spent a day of praying and fasting, the French did not attack on that day. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. We know the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis, they both called for days of prayer and fasting while our nation was completely killing each other. And what happened in 1865 after a response of the day in prayer and fasting? The war ended and slavery was abolished. Don't you think the two go together? Absolutely. God uses our prayers. He uses our our fasting to accomplish big things. So that's why we are to fast. So I hope I've convinced you not only biblically of why fasting is important, but also practically of why it's important for you and me as Christians to do. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus also talked about fasting. And he said, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. What was happening here is Jesus was with his disciples John had disciples and students with him, and the Pharisees had their own group. The Pharisees and John's group, they were fasting on a regular basis. Jesus and his disciples weren't. And the Pharisees and John's disciples were saying, Jesus, why aren't you and the disciples fasting? And Jesus said, they don't need to because I'm here. The groom is here. What Jesus was talking about was when you fast, normally you would fast because you're you're expressing grief over your sins and you're wanting Jesus to come. But Jesus is saying, they don't need to fast right now because I'm here. But then he went on to say this, and this has everything to do with what we're about to do with the Lord's Supper. Verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. What's he saying here? Jesus is talking about fasting and he's saying that a new patch on an old garment, it spoils both patches or both garments. The new is ruined because the patch is from the flimsy garments and the old is marred because the patch does not match. New wine and old wineskins, it ferments and bursts the skins, thus the wine and the skins are lost. What does this have to do with fasting? And what does this have to do with the table? I want you to hear me real quick. It has everything to do with the table. Because what Jesus was saying here is he was saying, okay, my disciples are not fasting with me because I'm the groom and they don't, need to mourn, they don't need to mourn right now. I'm here. We need to celebrate and rejoice. When I leave them, then they can mourn again. They can be sad because I'm no longer with them. The groom is no longer here. He's in heaven. So they can mourn over their sins and they can long for me to come back. But here's what Jesus was getting at. He's saying, there's a new kind of fasting. Just like the new wineskins and the new, the new garment He's saying, there's a new kind of fasting I want you to think about. And that new kind of fasting is for me and my return. I want you to anticipate when I come again and I destroy sin and Satan and I make all things new. So 
instead of the old way of fasting by saying, oh, woe is me and mourning over your sin, although that's still appropriate, Jesus is saying here, I want you to celebrate the fact that I'm coming soon and I will destroy Satan and there will no longer be sin. So when you fast, I want you to fast instead of looking gloomy and being discouraged, I want you to fast with excitement because I'm coming soon. So as you fast, I want you to fast with joy and with anticipation for my return. It's the same thing we do here at the table. What do we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We reflect upon our sins and we're reminded that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And the second thing we do at this this supper is we anticipate his return that one day when he comes, this place will be perfect and we will dine at the supper table with Jesus forever. I don't know about you, but that should fire you up. So when you fast, I would encourage you not only confess your sins and be in sorrow over your sins, but also fast with excitement, knowing that Jesus has promised he will come again and be filled with great anticipation. In the same way as we're about to dine with the Lord, reflect on your sins. Tell the Lord you're sorry for the sins you've committed, but also be excited and hopeful and joyful that he's coming soon and that you'll be with him for everlasting life.